Hello, Sharon. So audience, you know technology, it never works when you want it to work. So you probably will only hear my voice because for some reason I'm from Melnick. And um, welcome, welcome to CB Bowman Live. And this today, you know, on Thursdays, we talk about workplace equality and equity, and we have the perfect guest to talk about it. So get your notebooks out and let's rock it out. Sharon, welcome. So glad to be here with you, CB. I'm a fan. Thank you. Thank you. So first, tell us about yourself. Tell me about myself. Well, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a business psychologist, I guess, uh, in the world. I'm a clinical psychologist by training. And, um, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm really here to help people make the contribution that they've been put here to make. And in my early uh, years, I did 10 years of research at Harvard Medical School, and um, it was on intergenerational issues. It was about like what you bring with you from your own experiences in childhood into your parenting in the next uh, generation. And, um, you know, I just wanted to study like how do you avoid repeating the mistakes of your own parents? Yes. You know? And um, what's interesting about it is that I learned a lot about kind of where like that negative voice comes from, especially, you know, in working with women uh, leaders, kind of how it develops. And I also learned, I'm, I'm now kind of appreciating connecting the dots uh, in retrospect that I really learned what it was like if, uh, in that case, if you are a child and you don't feel seen, you don't feel heard, you don't feel like you can make the impact that you want to make. And uh, I think that that's how a lot of people feel in the workplace. So, um, you know, that's one thing I'm kind of devoting uh, myself toward, um, especially, uh, you know, even, even more focused uh, on women um, these days, but it's for any um, one who is underrepresented uh, in the workplace who doesn't feel seen, doesn't feel heard, doesn't feel like they can make the impact that they are here to make. And uh, so that's why what I'm kind of doing in the world, and I think, you know, we share a passion around this broadly speaking, is uh, helping multicultural women who are really smart uh, but stuck get a next level uh, opportunity and working with senior women executives to help them be that change agent and help them to create a more inclusive culture uh, in their organization. So um, it's it's interesting that kind of from a psychological uh, point of view, I know how to help a person um, kind of break, uh, you know, overcome that that feeling. Um, and uh, I think the full solution, of course, and you know, obviously, what you do in the world uh, here and on the show is, you know, organizations and stewards of the culture and leaders and every person within our society, community, and company. You know, kind of have to create uh, places uh, where we all. Um, Feel that we belong, we can all thrive, we can all, you know, bring our full talents. Um, and also what I'm working with uh, women leaders about is that we also each have to do our part to be ready to, um, to you know, use the power that we do have to create change in any interaction. Oh my God, I think I can end the show now <laughs> because you answered all my questions. Oh, well, let's get into it. <laughs> okay. So, one of the things, let's go back to the intergenerational um, issues that you studied, because I want to, first of all, I know that you are very interested and supportive of the uh, multicultural, multi-race um, concerns that the United States is facing now, not only concerns, but actual activity. And so, I want to ask you a delicate question on how do you feel the intergenerational um, issues that you studied affect people of color? Yeah, well, um, you know, uh, we, we understand that trauma is passed down, you know, like li literally through our um, biology as well as in social uh, interactions. And so, uh, I, 
I think we're just, it's, it's, it's um, not as if it hasn't been going on for thousands of years, but I think that uh, in the uh, wake of the murder of George Floyd uh, last year, that there was just an increased awareness and uh, a kind of a, a reckoning. Um, uh, and so I, I just see that there's, um, there's, there's more awareness of the trauma that we carry uh, in our bodies. Um, you know, we've all been socialized in terms of race, you know, everybody, I mean, just as a human being, but the identity that you have, my understanding is that it affects like what your experience uh, is of racism. And uh, so I, I think it's, I think it's, tr it's trauma. And, you know, I did, I did study that um, in those uh, intergenerational uh, issues. So um, I, I think that this is, uh, you know, each, each one of us has to kind of heal um, from the trauma that we've experienced, whatever role that we've played in it. And, you know, one of the best ways to move forward from trauma is to, um, you know, feel like you can have more control um, over at least your micro experience, feel like you can have control over changing an environment that was traumatizing um, uh, for you. And, uh, you know, I, I want to be a part of that solution. I know you do. And, and you have, uh, and I thank you publicly, you've reached out to me to see what role that you could play in the work that I'm doing. And I'm so delighted to have somebody uh, of your knowledge um, be interested in it, you know? And so that's why I want to dive a little bit deeper in this, the whole concept of trauma. Let's talk about that. What is, are you seeing trauma on both sides, on the, the black side or people of color, as well as on the white side? Yeah, I think, I think it, um, it goes against our fundamental nature as humans um, uh, to, you know, when there's, uh, when there's inequality, when people are being treated uh, badly and disrespectfully. I mean, there is the kind of biological side of us, I guess you could say, we're all sort of in it trying to get our own resources and, you know, kind of getting for ourselves. So I guess you could say that's also um, fundamental human nature. But, uh, you know, anyone who is in touch with their feelings uh, as a human being, um, you know, is uh, it's painful. I mean, it's it's deeply painful to uh, witness that uh, inequality and, and people um, being treated badly or, or potential being squandered. So um, I think everybody is affected, but we're affected in um, in different ways. And let me maybe say a little bit more about that. So. Um, I mean, it's it's obvious uh, if your fundamental rights have been taken away uh, as a black person to ownership, to sovereignty over your decision making, to having access, um, you know, to, to uh, wealth earning, to take care of yourself. I mean, just in every way, um, it's it's obvious how that's traumatizing. I mean, you, you to not be able to um, care for your own kind of well-being and welfare um, and uh one thing that I um, have come to understand more over the last few years and particularly within the last year is um, how racism also affects white people or affects people who are um, kind of complacently going uh, along with the system. And um, maybe you want me to talk a little bit more about like how I tried to reach out and have conversations with white women uh, during uh, last year and tell you a little bit about what I learned about how it affects us yeah, in this conversation. I, I, I do, but, but before we get there is, um, so I want to talk about how do you break the cycle of trauma, be it, even though I think people of color don't see right now that uh, white people are going through trauma, um, this week on television, there were a couple of sitcoms about um, uh, white people and how they're going through trauma. And but, you know, I think as a race, we don't see it in the same trauma that we experienced it, of course. It's not, it's not and the same trauma. Yeah. And and so is there this opportunity to connect on this uneven trauma, you know, issues and feelings? I mean. Can we connect 
or are we going to always see it as separate? Yeah. Well, I hope not. Um, I mean, the the experiences uh, that we've had as a white person and as a, let's just say a black person living, I'll talk for America because I'm more familiar maybe with our history here, um, is, I mean, it's we have totally different uh, experiences and the degree of uh, a lack of control and the degree of projections onto us um, is, is clearly uh, different. What I'm saying, though, is that... Um, it's uh, everyone is is has feelings. Everyone is feelingful. Um, mm -hmm. and everyone has deep seated emotions um, about it from whatever their experience is. And I think the opportunity that we do have is to connect on like that human you know level. I mean, it's like when you, and this is why it's so important to have proximity and 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 friends and close conversations and uh, you know transparent communications in the workplace or our communities because you know it's really hard to. Um, you know, have ill will towards someone whose story you know. And when you see their humanity and, you know, what they want as a human being or how they've been uh, pained. And there are so many more similarities that we have just as human beings, you know, trying to um, have a good life or wanting to care for uh, our children or having a light and a potential inside of us that we want to, you know, bring as a unique contribution. Um, I, I think that there's, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of things to connect on, uh, obviously, but um, uh, I don't, you, you know, and then, I mean, you know, there's been all kinds of um, things like within the, you know, the women's movement where, um, you know, we've we've sort of played the pain Olympics, you know, and who, who's, you know, I'm Jewish, I'm gay, you know, I've, I haven't always, you know, felt like I'm a person, you know, who's kind of like making the rules and in the uh, majority. But I, I don't think that's particularly constructive. Um, I think it's uh, really just to understand um, people's uh, experiences and uh, relate on a kind of a human level. And really, you know, like our, our world has such big problems right now. And one of the reasons why I feel passionate about um, you know, just su supporting um, women of color uh, talent is um, we just can't afford to squander any talent. Like our, I just, I just see, you know, and I've, I've, um, you know, coached uh, many women of color who, when they first came to me, you know, they told me their stories of they're like they're the highest producing person in the department, or they're the person who's kind of on the front lines, you know, getting the result, and they just haven't gotten credit. They've been passed over. Um, I mean, this is relevant for women broadly. Uh, obviously, this, I see these kinds of same issues, but it's it's really um, kind of blatant and can even be humiliating um, for uh, some of the women of color uh, who I've coached. So we we need to create structures that are gonna be able to get the best creativity and value from everyone. So there's so many questions in that um, that I, I wanna still dig deep on how do we connect with each other when our trauma experiences have been different. But yeah. uh, Elena, is, is listening in and you may not have met Elena yet, but she's a new MG100 oh. member. And- I'm uh, looking forward to meeting you, great. And a dear friend of mine. And so, oh my gosh, she has an incredible background. I did an interview with her earlier uh, last year. So if- I'll you check it out for sure. Yeah, so she's writing in, in the first comment, so important to note that there is trauma on both sides of the issue. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then her second comment is how do whites show compassion without appearing to be performative, functionary, woke? Let me spell it because my pronunciation is terrible. P-E-R-F-O-R-M-A-T. Yeah, performative allyship. Yeah. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And again, and I just want to say, I'm, you know, I'm just glad to be in this conversation with you. I feel like what we need is open, transparent conversation, but I'm not like an expert in diversity, equity and inclusion. I'm, I'm a business psychologist who knows how women leaders can be effective at creating change and, you know, getting to the next level. But because um, I, uh, uh, again, what I was saying from my early history, if I, I, I've known some things about how do you overcome a perception of you when you're boxed in? Right, yeah. which is uh, very relevant, and um, you know, how do you kind of take back um, that power? So you know, we could talk about that. Yeah, uh, but, that's, yeah. Uh, 
recognizing, yes, you, you are not an expert in DNI, but what you're saying is really important to that. You know, yeah. taking back your power is one of the things that we're dealing with. Belonging is another thing that we're dealing with. Um, many of us feel, you know, fortunately, I'm not one of them, but tired of discussing this and don't feel like we should be the educators, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. My feeling is that we have to be the educators because now is the opportunity where white people want to know before yes. they, you know, it was kind of like, oh, it's somebody else. And so yeah. now is our opportunity yeah. to, uh, to talk openly and freely. And, you know, I think whites are asking openly yeah. and freely. And so we have to have that dialogue. And you're an expert in having dialogue, not necessarily having race, black um, dialogue, but that's why I wanted you on the show is to talk about it more from uh, a psychological perspective. Um, and and I'm sure that the, the issues that we want to talk about uh, are also mimicked in other social uh, situations. Like you have, um, uh, Latin X, and you have the LBGTQ plus community, and you have, uh, I was just on Clubhouse, the Asian community. And so, yeah. it, you know, what the killing of Floyd has brought out is the lack of equity and equality in so many people. Yes. So, so many, many people. Yeah. You know, yeah. And so the, the, the issue is, opening the dialogue, creating a sense of belonging, and you know, hearing from people like you who could look at it from neither color, but from ha what happens to us psychologically is, is incredibly important. Yeah, so I, I think that um, it's important, and this is like, again, I don't know based on any theory or whatever, but just maybe from my own experience, I would say, I think it's important to have same race discussions and to have cross race discussions. Yes. And we need both and that's part of kind of the full um, approach. And um, let, let me say why I say that because again, you know, one, one of the early conversations that we had was in, um, you know, as the um, conversations were, uh, were, we were really becoming a lot more aware of what had been going on in terms of racism for so many years. Um, I called together uh, a group of other white women who were leaders in organizations. And I just, it was really um, to create a safe space, a brave space for us just to talk. And I, you know, it was like something, you know, I needed for myself as well as I, I thought other people did. And, um, you know, we just talked about like, you know, what were our earliest um, kind of memories around a race? Like what were the messages that we learned? We talked about um, white privilege. And I'll tell you, and you know, where did we notice it uh, in ourselves? And again, it was a small sample. It was I don't know, you know, 35, 40 people or whatever. But um, you know, what I heard very consistently was um, uh, such one theme that was really consistent is, you know, I heard early messages that were very negative uh, about Black people, and I knew in my heart that it was, and and I had my own, you know, experience with this. I knew in my heart that it was wrong. And I knew that it it was like painful and that's not the way that I thought the world should be. And I didn't believe it, but I, I, you know, I was young and I didn't have kind of like the words. I didn't know how to argue that or, you know, present a counter point of view. You know, I was like growing up and every one of us sort of had a version of that. And um, and the the sense of um, helplessness uh, that we felt and the sense of guilt um, was really, and you know, there were there were people close to tears in many of the stories, or in tears in many of the stories, and um, so I do think that it um, it's valuable to have those spaces where um, you're already exhausted, like you don't need to be hearing all that and kind of carry that. You know what I mean? For us, I mean, I don't want to make it too much in us for them, but I'm just saying like that for that group of women, and. Um, so I think that we need that, and um, we obviously need to have uh, ex uh, discussions that are cross race or cross experience, cross diversity dimensions, so that we really understand uh, each other. 
And like I said, you know, once you really understand um, or just know what it's like, then you it's it's um it it's really not like humane. Like it's it's really you have to be really shut down to just like not care. You know, I mean, you may not know what to do or kind of what uh, to do as a next step. And then that's you know, you can you can learn those things or be shown those things um, or create, you know, protocols and strategies within your company. But I think it's the person, and I've heard this from uh, my clients who are black women, that it's really the personal relationships that they make that are the ones. um, And, you know, especially like a personal relationship with uh, a a white man leader can really like that person when, when um, they really connect on that human level, he can really become a huge uh, champion. Like a great example of that is Joy Fitzgerald, who is the chief um, diversity officer at Eli Lilly. And um, she just forged a, a really good personal rapport with her uh, CEO, who's a white man. And he was just, you know, unaware uh, a lot of this. And he um, he got together in a three day, just him. And I don't know what the number is. I'm going to fudge the number, the top 20 or something of their African-American um, women talent. And they just talked mm-hmm. for like three days. I mean, and wow. um, and then he personally, like he pr- made sure those women promoted. He made sure those women got sponsored. You know, it's just, um, and we, we're just very stuck in, um, you know, just stereotypes or we don't really know each other. And then that just reinforces the, um, the trauma of not feeling seen, of not feeling heard. And I think this is very important because I've heard from uh, a lot of black women that they feel betrayed by white women. And that, you know, that we white women uh, were the earlier beneficiaries of some of the women's leadership programs, not exclusively, but let's just say in higher percentages. And um, you know, Sharon, let me let me just interject there. Yeah. There is also a large contingency of black women who feel that they've been betray- betrayed by other black women. Yes. So, mm-hmm. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just, it's, um, it's, uh, so we, it's just, um, you know, we, we have to develop, um, a mindset of abundance and not scarcity, you know, not like, you know, there's one slot for a woman. And so if I'm there, you know, I'm going to take it. I think there's much more of a sense, a spirit of sisterhood, uh, and sister and brotherhood, um, you know, that's very explicit, uh, now I, I yeah, you know, and, um, you know, kind of pulling, uh, one another up. And, um, so this kind of gets back a little bit to the question about performative, uh, allyship, you know, it's like when somebody does, uh, something to kind of look good, um, to the public, like, you know, puts a post up on social media, you know, with a, you know, a blackout, you know, or something like that, like early, you know, on, um, and, you know, that, uh, you know, that, not that it's exclusively performative allyship, but doing something like that, that are sort of the externals or the, the things that are kind of easy and convenient to do, um, mm-hmm. is this idea of performative allyship versus, um, do you speak up in the moments when, uh, someone else, you know, has uh, is is doing a microaggression or has a point of view Wait, that is going to perpetuate. You know what I mean? Someone else being denied. Yeah. Explain, please, microaggression. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, these are the the kind of more subtle experiences. Not not so subtle for the receiver, but um, you know, uh, not a kind of passing a law to deny someone, you know, access to funds or, you know, or something like that. But it's, it's more like in the interpersonal interactions where, um, uh, someone might say something that, uh, you know, I mean, there's many classic examples of this. I'm sure we could go over, but like, um, uh, you know, you're so articulate as said to yeah. a black oh, person. God, I love that one. Yes. Has a, a dig that, you know, that's not my general experience of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, an art, a, a smart black person. So it's just many, many examples like this, you know, w- women uh, experience these uh, throughout the day. Um, uh, people of color experience these throughout the day. And then what it does is that it causes um, the person who is subject to that to, you know, have to go inside and kind of 
deal with it and, um, you know, process the emotions that it brings up effortfully think about what should I say? Should, should I say anything? Should I say something what first? should I say? Is this the right time? How will they take it? And all of that extra kind of energy drain and uh, a lot of the onus put on the receiver to make it a teachable moment. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's exhausting. Yeah. And if not, if you don't make it a teachable moment, then you're carrying that around with you as excess baggage. And it just gets piled on and piled on and piled on. And yeah. Yeah. And I was, um, I was talking uh, just earlier this morning, I'm, I'm coaching a, a um, um, senior uh, HR leader and uh, she's a black woman. And we, um, we were, she got kind of marginal, what she interpreted to be marginalized uh, in a situation. And, um, you know, she was kind of full of all, all kinds of feelings when we started uh, to talk together. And then we really sorted through like deconstructing what happened there. And, um, but what happens is that she's got all of this, like, you know, smarts and experience and vision and passion and, you know, ability to connect. And, you know, she's so, she has so much to bring. And there she is kind of leaking her power. You know what yeah. I mean? And kind of focusing on the other person and trying to figure out what's the accurate interpretation of the situation. And, um, you know, and so there's just all of that kind of squandering, right, uh, of that energy and um, and talent. And what we ended up doing um, together that was enormously helpful for her is that we actually reframed it. And what she initially thought was kind of a slight, like she got taken off of a project and put on something else where she had really been leading this project. It was highly visible. And um, she was able to, we talked through how she could see that opportunity um, might have happened for her and not to her. And, you know, kind of interpret differently rather than it was a slight by a, you know, a, a senior leader who just didn't see her at all. That actually this person was um, kind of releasing her off of this project where she had already been highly visible, kind of gotten it to a new po point and putting her full time on diversity, equity and inclusion activities so that she could really like, this was a passion, so she could really grow this and um, and uh, and um, connect with the executive committee about this because they had said this was really important. And then she felt totally like energized oh, and, God, yes. and she like totally like took the power back. I love and, it. You know what I mean? But, but, she, but again, she had to spend that hour, you know yeah. what I mean? Kind of and going through it. She had you to to help her dismantle that because I have been in similar situations that I didn't have a Sharon Milnick. <laughs> now I'm gonna pick up the phone and say Sharon. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, that actually happened to me. Not not the same thing, but I had that same experience within MG100, right? Um, in our connection now meeting, whereby. I was the not only the only black person in our group, I was the only woman in our group. And so, so our roles were to take turns talking about what we were doing and what we needed and to receive input. And so when my turn came, the men like, oh, you're not doing this right. Oh, this is what's happening. Oh, you don't know this. And I'm like, holy sugar. And my husband, who's white, was listening in and he said, of course, he loves me. And he said, what a bunch of jealous men. They're just <laughs> they're just jealous of your ability to zoom right into things and to build companies. And, you know, don't they understand that you know what you're doing? <laughs> and I thought, thank goodness he was here to, <laughs> to make me feel better. Right. But here's what happened. Um, one of the guys who was just brutal on that call, I actually thought about it and I thought about it and I said, gosh, this guy needs help understanding the effects that he has on people when he plays this role. So I sent him an email and I said, uh, how can I help you with what you're doing? That was a big leap over to the other side. And he said, oh, CB, I'd love to get to talk to you and know you better. Well, we started talking and I said to him, I just want to share with you my interpretation of what you said in the meeting. 
he was flabbergasted. He said, oh my God, I wasn't coming from that perspective at all. I was trying to figure out how I could support you. And I said, so your verbiage didn't come across that way. And so we talked it out and then he started, I said, so how can I help you? And he started talking. And at the end of the call, he said, CB, I almost missed this opportunity because you are my Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I almost screwed it up. And I said, yeah, you did. <laughs> we both laughed at that. But that takes a lot of energy. It takes having somebody by your side to support you and say, it's okay, they're wrong. For you to say, okay, if they're wrong, I could put that aside and now I can reach out and listen and support. But I'll tell you, Sharon, I couldn't do it to the other men in the group. <laughs> I was drained after that. Totally, totally. And I salute you. I mean, what incredible courage um, and grace, you know, that that really took on your part. But it is a good example of that personal connection. You know what I mean? That man is going to be like your advocate and, you know, for the rest of your life. I mean, and, um, and it's so, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, one person at a time. Oh my God, we have 7 billion people, you know what I mean? To kind of, so that's a lot. I totally um, get it. But, you know, a woman in her power raises everyone around her. I love and that. A woman in her power raises everyone around her because you set a new standard, right? In that group or that, in you know, that relationship with that man um, of, transparency of, you know, um, empathy toward other people of how to talk to people and support them. And every, every woman in her power changes the power dynamic. Wow. Right. And, and every, you know, every woman in her power is, is that change agent can be that change agent simply like simply, I mean, it's such a good, like if you're listening, like, you know what I mean? Like be her, you know what I mean? Like, because you thought it, you know, so let's, you want to just deconstruct a little bit what you did there. Yes, and Mary just wrote in who's listening. She wrote, thank you. Exclamation mark, exclamation mark. <laughs> yes, we need you. And again, it's like, it's so, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry to like have the message of like, you, you know, you need to be the one or whatever. I mean, obviously we need to change this as a culture, but, but every woman in her power can chip away, you know, at the system and that's not serving any of us really. And the more kind of little chips that we have, the sooner, you know, it can flip. So let's just go over what you did right there. Right. Yeah. So um, one thing that you did right is that the, the, the man's behavior um kind of had implicit messaging towards you that you're you know not good enough don't know what you're talking about shouldn't be taken seriously variation on that theme right yeah no that was the theme <laughs> yeah that was the theme yeah no, no subtlety there right yeah and um great example of a microaggression that was very blatant and um but what you did let's go through a few things one thing you did is that you didn't internalize that projection onto you or you for might long. for a moment. For long. It, right. You know, it, it was for a bit, but then I came out of it quickly. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's really insightful that you know, because this is what we do. This is what happens to us, right? Is um, that we're, we are treated in a certain way and we have to make sense of it. That's a human faculty. It's like we have to interpret why things are happening to us. And so that's what we do is that, and then, um, you know, for uh, a, a lot of people, that this is part of the trauma part that we were talking about, you know, um, of racism, uh, of, of sexism, is that you might start to uh, interpret that that happened because there's something about you that you didn't know your stuff or, you, did, you know, you didn't belong there or, and, and but what I see most often is uh, questioning yourself. Yes. Right. And um, maybe I don't, maybe I'm not working on the right, you know, what am I doing wrong is like the first, you know, is a place that uh, we'll go to. So that's one thing that you did right is that, you know, maybe you had a moment where, you, you know, um, where you internalized it, but then you were able to kind of uh, own your own view of yourself. 
And it yeah. helped you that you had uh, a loved one and an ally, right? Who reminded, but he just reminded you of who you know yourself to be. Yeah. And if you didn't have that foundation inside of yourself, it would have been encouragement, but you wouldn't have been able to really feel that encouraged, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's one thing that you did uh, right in that situation. And that came from kind of owning it. So you didn't take on uh, that projection. And the thing is, is that if a projection is being put onto you, but you don't take it on, it doesn't, it doesn't stick and it doesn't go and it doesn't perpetuate. Mm -hmm. so that's why when a woman owns her power, that's why when a black woman owns her power, that's when a black man owns his power, right? It, it, it stops the projection from, so that's one thing. Um, another thing uh, that you did right is um, that you made it uh, not just about the specific situation, but you put it in a bigger context of that man is going to be going out there and having these kind of interactions. Mm -hmm. right? And so it would be really helpful for, you know, for him to have education about the impact of his behavior. So it can always be really empowering to um, because when you make it about you and the specifics of feeling disrespected in the moment, mm -hmm. then you can get all kind of um, stuck into your personalized concerns and what it meant about you and what it means about him. And then you're all, you know, kind of, you know, mad at him and his limitations yes. and kind of yes. making it about you and how you felt and all that. And that's a person that's your small game. But what you do is you took that small game and you made it into what's the big game here? Like what, what's your purpose here? You know what I mean? What's the possibility kind of of this relationship or this person going forward and interacting, you know, with lots of other people who right, he could right. be you know, making feel this way. And so you played your big game and um, that's what might've enabled you to, you know, to have that courage to uh, have that uh, conversation and because that's usually what's motivating um, is, you know, you're here to like make a difference and to create a culture that we'll all thrive in. So mm -hmm. that can help you kind of get out of your own, you know, stuckness or feeling uh, in the moment. Another thing that you did is uh, right, is that you use the power of transparency and you shared what your experience was. You approached it neutrally with respect. Um, you shared your own uh, experience and you talked to him about like what the impact was um, uh, on you, probably rather than going in with, you know, pointing fingers, maybe a little bit, maybe not too much. And um, which enabled and you and you went in with kind of a neutral conversation, like to talk about kind of what happened, want to hear what your perspective was, want to share with you what my perspective was, which created a neutral space and you held the space. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, um, I mean, those are just three of the many, many things yeah. did, right in that situation. But, you know, some, you know, someone who's not being seen or heard or not able to make the impact, you know, that is a way of flipping that situation and kind of ending uh, the trauma, taking back control, taking uh, back that power, because when you're in your power, you raise everyone in the situation. I love that. Wow. I'm feeling especially good now, Sarah. <laughs> and you're a natural. <laughs> and, and every person can do this. And yeah. every woman can do this. And every woman of color can do this. And every man of color can do this. Any, anybody who's not being seen can do this. But don't you think it's harder? I mean, I, I feel that one of the things that gave me the power in the situation is that I already have a successful business. And I started it from scrap and I started it from people saying, you can't, you're not going to be able to do this. Oh, I know. That's the best motivator for you. <laughs> you can do this. Uh, yes. That's definitely going to happen. <laughs> definitely gonna happen. You want. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So going back to feeling seen, feeling heard, um, what is it that people of color can do to gain those two statues of being seen, being heard. And my next question is, can you create your own sense of belonging in a space where you don't feel like you belong? Yeah. 
I, I think you can. Um, so there's a few questions there. I think you can create your own sense of belonging by people who you do feel have psychological safety with. You do feel who sees you. It may not be your direct manager, but you know, I mean, to seek out other people. But I think it is a real question uh, for anyone who's not seen or heard. Do you want to be giving your talents to that environment or that workplace? And um, that's a soul searching and, and you may decide that it's worth it for you because what you're getting from the situation in terms of training or maybe it's an elite organization or maybe the projects you're doing you love or something. So, so um, what is your personal return on investment working for this company? Yeah. So I think that's something that you want to think about and um, uh, or not or maybe, you know, but what you need to do is you need to draw your own line in the sand. And you need to know like, what am I willing to tolerate and what am I not? And if it crosses that line, then that triggers a reevaluation. And if it hasn't crossed that line, then what can be really healthy is, um, is to kind of almost use that organization, like come to work on your own terms where it's like, they're paying me to like do something I love or to learn a skill or to grow connections or whatever it is. And then, you know, what you want and what the organization wants is totally aligned. But again, psychologically, it uh, it helps to shift out of that more traumatized, not seen state because you're deciding that you want to be there. You're saying, I'm doing this, what's in it for me, right? And this is what I can control and, you know, and I'm choosing to do this. And then the energy of it is totally different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see Carolyn is on the line. Hey, Carolyn is in the house. Uh, Carolyn is um, part of Chief Financial Officer uh, Leadership Council in the diversity and inclusion space. And I'm going to be moderating a panel for her, uh, I think, uh, next week. Next week. So I'm so glad that you're here. She's an amazing woman. Um, Here's my thing. How do you figure out what that line in the sand is and when to draw it. And I'm asking specifically because I had to sue two Fortune 500 companies for race discrimination. Yep. My, uh, and, good for you. Yeah. And it, I mean, not good that you had to do it, but good for you that you did it. Yeah. Thank you. It took a heavy toll on my health yeah. as I aged. Yeah. Uh, I often think that I should have drawn that line in the sand much sooner. But due to lack of knowledge, not having my personal board of directors to say, hey, you know, they've crossed the line. So it, I think it's a difficult question for anyone, but particularly people of color, of knowing when to draw that line in the sand. From a psychological perspective or from even your studies in sociology, when do you draw it? How do you figure that out? Yeah, well, that's a really good question. I think we could have a coffee chat uh, around that. I mean, I'll just maybe say some reflections. And I think obviously each person, you know what I mean, has to um, come up with their own uh, answer. I would suggest that the first thing, that the first kind of approach that you would want to make is always to be impeccable for your 50%. So it's not the only thing, but just it's always a starting place to make sure that um, if you're not being seen or heard, but at least make sure that you're like being effective in the way that you're influencing, that you're aligning with uh, what, you know, other people's needs. And so we know that it's not, um, cause I've, I've had, I'm only saying that cause I've had people have come to me who have said, you know, there's, there's bias here, you know, and I'm like, I, I bet there is. I mean, we, we know there is, but let's just sort of start off by you being really as effective as you could be, being impeccable for your 50%. And then let's see, you know, if that moves the needle or not. And I've had plenty of times where when someone has learned to be really effective at the way, you know, having x-ray vision into the minds of their decision makers and knowing how to influence, then they got a yes. And then, you know, their project was bought into and then everything changed. So Let's let I, I have to deviate there, okay, good. But, but hold that space because I want to share with you that, first of all, those of us that produce to the ultimate that we can, um, uh, the feeling is, why do we have to produce double 
what somebody somebody who's white is to to raise the flag to say hey we're there and we're doing an incredible job we have to be yeah. smarter we have to be faster etc um, so but yeah true but this is a given state so if we assume that is happening and i know the word assume right um so we're already giving not only 50 percent, but we're giving 100 200 percent um and that's part of the picture the other part of the picture is um the knowledge that what who who do we go to for the truth yeah because even if we're giving 200 percent and we're still getting the feedback that you're not doing enough and that feedback is there for the purpose of stopping us yeah you know versus encouraging us but stopping us because they feel like oh you've got too big a head or you know whatever that personal reason is right where do we go? Yeah. It's very blurry. It's a really, really good question. And in what you were saying, I think um, give some clues as to um, kind of where to draw that line. Because if you kind of as objectively as possible, you know, are being effective in what you're doing, right? As, you know, um, evidenced by, you know, metrics, feedback, um, you know, your own personal intuition or, or whatever, 360s. I mean, there's lots of data about that. But um, if you're being effective and you're not being seen um, for your potential, um, you know, in terms of like a, a next level opportunity or a raise or those kinds of things, actually that gap between kind of the facts and what's being offered to you is information like that is information that you are under the grips or facing some kind of bias. And so that, that's why I said to start there, just because if um, until you start there, you don't it's not you don't have clarity. Right. What part of this might be the way that I'm approaching it or, you know, what part of this is real. And once you are being impeccable kind of for your 50 percent, then you have in, then you have clarity and you know that it is something that um, where you're bumping up against a limitation um, in someone else. But I think the thing is, Sharon, if, if people- And so I think I that's think, where- I think we um, froze for you a know, you uh, I think the thing is, if people had somebody like you on their side that they could trust to say, yeah, you're putting in 200%, it's now time to draw that line. But the issue is when you walk the halls of corporate America as a black person, nine out of 10 times you're walking it alone. Yeah. So you don't, you're not quite sure. Yeah. If you're delivering, if people are saying you're constantly de not delivering, but in your, in your soul, you feel yeah. like you're delivering, where is the truth? Yeah. How do you analyze that truth? Yeah, that's real. And I think, um, you know, uh, you, you have to talk to the people in the organization who, um, care about whether you stay or whether you go, right? And would want to support you. And um, you have to um, ask people to, um, you know, understand a little bit more about like the politics or the person who is, you know, kind of blocking you just to understand like, do they do this toward other people? Yes. Just toward you? Um, you know, because it might be the case, like that person is just a limited leader. Like they, they wow. do this kind of thing to everyone. And so you wouldn't want to, you know, make, make an assumption if it wasn't, you know, about you. I mean, not good that that company is tolerating a poor leader that's everyone is suffering under that's, but it's a, but it's a different ask or a different issue. So I'd be, um, and, and this is hard. I mean, th this is what you're talking about here just reveals like, what, you know, the burden and the challenge of it. It's like you're being asked to trust and reach out to people and, and have, on, you know, transparent and candid kind of conversations when you don't feel that, you know, people have your back or that, you yeah. know, there's accurate, objective kind of evaluation uh, of you and all the onus uh, is on you, so, which is why it is so uh, important that we have more representation, you know, in the workplace. And um, I see that there's uh, a lot of um, 
uh, like the Executive Leadership Council and you know, just a lot of other organizations where um, I think black leaders are coming together and, and really understanding the nuances and you know supporting uh, each other. So I, it's almost like a, I don't know, like an algorithm of all this data. But I think when you, when you feel like there's a mismatch between objectively, like, you know, what you're putting out and the feedback that you're getting, that's information that, that bias is at play. And we know, um, especially that there's the prove it again bias. Um, this is relevant for all women and it's extremely high percentages for black women where, um, uh, you know, um, a man or uh, a white uh, person counterpart might be evaluated based on their future potential, mm -hmm. but you might uh, will likely more likely be evaluated based on your past accomplishments. Mm -hmm. And um, so that keeps talent. And those past accomplishments, you have been given a limited amount of visibility and opportunities for uh, additional knowledge and success. I know that. That's yeah. been proven by the McKinsey report over and over again. Yes. So some things that you could do, and again, there's this, um, whether it's, especially if it's across difference, gender difference, racial difference, or intersectional difference, we know that um, people giving feedback can have that protective hesitation, right? And not give uh, candid feedback because they're concerned about, you know, how it's going to be taken. So again, no, this should be on the performance systems of your company. But until then, what you can do is you can really ask for that candid feedback. And sometimes you might even have to offer like multiple choice. Is it, is it, you know, is it more this, is it more this? Or would it like to try to give some structure to that limited feedback uh, giver to try to get, you know, more candid information. And another thing that you could do is really talk much more about the contribution that you're going to make rather than what it is that you've like, cause I think, you know, we go in there like, well, look at all these things that I've done, look at all these things that I've done, which you have to do, especially in a job interview. But in some ways it can kind of reinforce that prove it again bias. Cause you know, what I hear so often from, you know, my multicultural clients is like, you know, you're doing a great job, keep going. And they're like, no, I'm like, I'm like doing a job yes. three levels above me. Yeah. You know I mean? yeah. And um, so you want to, um, you want to start talking about what you will do, what you're, you know, what you can do, like paint a mental movie in the mind of decision makers that so that they start to break out of the box of the perception they have of you now and start seeing you, you know, um, at that higher level or more what you're capable of. And then, you know, when you can do that with sponsors and other people buzzing about you and offering you opportunities, it just, you need to update a uh, perception. You know, uh, we only have a few minutes left, but Sharon, I, I'm telling you, we've gotten some great questions in. And, and I also want to add to what you're saying, because I think it takes courage to figure out where the truth lies and yeah. face that truth. Yeah. So if in fact you really are not doing a good job, don't blame somebody else. Right. Step up to the plate and do that good job and pass that job. As you said, look at it in terms of where you want to go, not where you are or where you've been. And really try to analyze it from, pretend almost that you're somebody else. And what would you coach another person? And looking at what's going on and what are they contributing and what they're not contributing. That takes a lot of guts and a lot of, especially in, if you're in an environment where people are saying you're not doing anything right. You have to bring up the hard conversation. I mean, it's, it's all, you know, kind of back to that. Yeah. yeah. So we have a couple of things. Um, Carolyn is saying, her first comment is join CB as she moderates the CFO, that's Chief Financial Officer, Leadership Council's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Program. Create a successful diversity, equity, and inclusion program for your organization. That's Great. Send me the link so I can listen in. Okay. It's February 12th at 12 p.m. And she provides the link. Um but you know, reach out to me on LinkedIn, wherever, and I will give you the link. Um, her next comment is, you have to find an advocate in your company. Hopefully it's your manager, head of your department. So true. 
So true. And back to the personal relationships that we were talking about. And it's so hard, again, if you don't feel safe to be the one to try to really make that deeper connection. But just like with you, it can really pay off. Exactly. You know, and as allies, because we're all allies to each other in one form or another. Maybe we all have, you know, kind of privilege and um, is to really be aware and, um, you know, and make introductions and uh, speak, you know, say good things uh, about um, other people and invite them to speak and invite them into the room and invite them to uh, present um, so that we uh, kind of share the power. And, um, you know, that that's really, and, and ask people what they think, create a safe environment and really like, what's your experience? Um, you know, help, help me just, you know, just that personal connect. So yes. again, if your eyes are opened and your heart is open, like you're going to naturally as a human being, you know, want to do for others. Give people permission. And the other thing I have to say is don't tell everybody who your allies are because your allies really need to get confidential information to share with you about what other people are saying and sure. thinking. Good point. And if you, reveal, you don't give them the freedom to be able to give you that very valuable feedback. So just a word of wisdom from somebody who's been through it. A lot of wisdom. Uh, Dr. Hannah says, I like CB, what you shared about motivation. Personally, the most important uh, is to believe in what we would like to achieve and be authentic. We know what we want, we see the challenges, we ask for help. We try to find the best way to follow, etc. Love it, love it. And Elena says, um, uh, why is it that the first place we go is to competency when we talk about someone, about someone black having an issue? Trust around competency is more readily given to someone who is white something a client shared just recently. Sure that's true. I'm sure that's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I sort of say that as a general rule for every, you know, universally be impeccable for your 50%. That's just like a general, you know, guidance. But yes. I, I think you're right, uh, actually, that we would, um, the attribution that we would make for a black person might be more around their competence rather than uh, assuming that there's an, you know, environmentally a bias that's thwarting them. So thanks for bringing that to our attention. Yeah. And that's something that we need to be aware of. Anyone in a hiring, you know, role, manager role, a leader role, and we can all be allies to each other there. Yeah. So we have like maybe three minutes left. Is there anything you would like to add? I mean, this has just been an incredible, and I know that you were nervous about coming on. You kept writing to me, what am I going to talk about? What are you going to ask me? And I said, don't worry, we're going to riff. Believe me. Um, so now I'm giving you a chance to say, is there anything you wanted to add or say or? Well, I think um, if we have a next conversation on or off the air, I, mean, I know we'll have off the air, but if we have it on the air, you know, I think talking um, about white women and black women and, you know, women, women in sisterhood, um, I, I think uh, we need to be talking real and uh, be a united front. And uh, I mean, brothers and sisters, but I'm just saying, I, I think um, to to maybe start with those conversations there is, um, uh, is we just need to be united in sisterhood. Yeah, so, okay, here's, I'm gonna throw this out at you. You identify a panel and we'll do a panel on this. Okay. <laughs> well. Hey everyone. Uh, I just want to say we've got a minute left. This has been an incredible conversation. I'm so grateful for Sharon coming on, and I'm incredibly grateful for your comments in the chat. Uh, we've had some real power players who have written in, and it makes me feel good that Sharon and I, oh, Elena says, great conversation. Carolyn says, good point. I am just so happy that, talk about sisterhood, we're we're doing that right here. And uh, Dr. Hannah says, well done, Sharon. It was a pleasure to listen to you. Carolyn saying, yes, United in Sisterhood. Great conversation. Thank you both <laughs> So from Elena. Um, okay, we're gonna have to figure out how to use this system to have a panel of sisterhood. 
So if any of you have any great ideas or recommendations in terms of who should be on the panel, please let me know. Maybe we'll just have a Zoom thing and record it and shoot it out. In the meantime, this is C.B. Bowman Live, Workplace Equality and Equity. And thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to tune in on Tuesday when we do Challenges of the C-Suite at 12 noon Mountain Time. Go with peace and success and happiness. Bye now. Sharon, thank you so much. Thank you. What an honor.